for those of you who have just joined us, we've had the opportunity to start sharing some podcasts that you might be interested in. The newest one is Just Glow With It. As in their own words, it's almost that time of year again where we start planning our New Year's resolutions and proclaiming New Year, New Me. If you're serious about finally becoming that girl (laughs) and entering your dream life era, then we have the perfect podcast to help you begin your journey of leveling up. It's called Just Glow With It, lifestyle, wellness, and personal growth podcast that is here to inspire and guide you on your journey of becoming your best self and creating a life you love. Hosted by life coach and content creator Jasmine Saha, Just Glow With It shares heart-led conversations, real-life lessons, and the ups and downs of healing, self self-growth, creating your most beautiful life from the inside out. From how to build better habits and routines, cultivating a more positive mindset, to real talk on self-love and everything else in between, Just Glow With It covers it all. The podcast has already helped hundreds on their journey of self-growth, healing, and transformation. So grab a journal, Take some notes and start preparing for your best year yet by giving Just Glow With It a listen. Welcome to episode 20 of season three. If you've just joined us, I am Robin. Are I'm you? a tired witch. <laughs> <laughs> This is Robin. This is Robin. Hello. <laughs> um, a time to Instagram, and I'm joined by somebody. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm joined by. I'm Maria. just here. I'm just here. <laughs> oh, but Maria the Arcane on Instagram. And if you stick around to the main segment of the episode, we are joined today by Mara Starling to discuss Welsh witchcraft. And if you stick around till the end. You can find out what's coming next week. <laughs> we even, by the way, we do want to mention we have a very, very special class this month. Actually, yeah. the weekend after this is released, the weekend yeah. of the release. Yeah, the weekend uh, of the release. So yeah. next weekend, as of us recording this now, <laughs> it's a four hauntings class led by J. Allen Cross, who yes. is the author of Paranormal Witchcraft. I think that's the title of the book. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's real. It's gonna be so much fun. And I'm as really, said, really excited about it. I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I will I'll be, be there. there. I'll be taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you who are interested in joining the class, it is for Patreon members, library tier and up. Uh, and if you you want to listen to it, but you were like, oh, I can't make the 30th, mm-hmm. you can still join the library tier and it will be up within 48 hours after the class for people Mm -hmm. who would like to watch it but just can't make it so you know even if you can't physically be there you can still be there (laughs) yeah and if you do make it to the class you can actually ask jay some questions whatever questions you have on hauntings or the things that he had talked about during the class so i think that's very exciting we hope we hope that we see you there yeah If you've just joined us this week, every single week we talk about upcoming lunar phases and how you can utilize that for your practice. Um, so it's November 8th. On November 8th, yes. <laughs> 
use my old noggin. On November 8th, <laughs> we've got the full moon in Taurus. And I think that this full moon is actually like really pointed for the fact that we've got elections coming up. Um, the Taurus, the Taurus moons in general are like really rule, rule bound. And they, I don't know, they, they like law and order if you will <laughs> they like to play it by the books and so i think it's pretty pointed that that would fall at the exact same time as voting i don't know i thought that was kind of a cool time up <laughs> mm -hmm. um so the fact that this full moon is a very kind of rule bound law and order and balanced lunar phase i think it's a really good time to kind of do magic on uh both revealing and concealing if you will mm -hmm. and therefore i think it's a perfect time for glamour magic um because we're kind of doing this bringing things to light or putting things behind the shadows it is law and order it is almost justice i know that that we typically utilize that more with like libra full moons mm -hmm. but because we are kind of these like playing by the rules and following through with uh i don't know things we think should be seen etc we can kind of utilize that for glamour magic i think so at least you know we're use magic to bring things to light that you feel like are needing to be seen and simultaneously hiding things that you don't want to be seen so if you're somebody who perhaps uses glamour magic to kind of shield yourself in social situations so that way you kind of blend in maybe more with the crowd or similar this would be a really great time to utilize that uh, simultaneously if you are needing magic to be heard to be seen to be understood exactly how you want you know your words to come out this mm -hmm. is a great time for that as well i think it is i i don't think most people would maybe jump to glamour magic for a taurus full moon but i think it's a perfect time to utilize it i love that um, yeah. for me Taurus like you know they love their things they can be very yeah. like materialistic like they love collecting things they, if they see something nice they want it <laughs> but um but since it's not the dark moon, we're not going to concentrate on the shadow work aspect of it. But um, I really think that the full moon would be a great time to be like, you know, I kind of deserve this, like getting yourself something yeah. like a little bit nice and being like, I deserve this for myself, or at least setting the intentions to be able to afford it one day, like doing larger yes. spell work for like a larger, more expensive thing to gain money in order to purchase yeah. it. But yeah, but also try not to get caught up in that, you know, the whole energy of wanting things and getting things. Yes. <laughs> Especially, you know, Horses. we're so close to the Yule, you know, to Yule in the winter solstice. Yeah. So you be and, careful. And Tauruses are by nature quite conservative. And I don't mean it like, you know, politically. politically. I mean, like, I don't mean it politically. I mean, just they are, they tend to be more conservative on like how we spend our money or how we behave in public, you know, whatever. Right. And so it is going off what Maria said about wanting things, right. Mm -hmm. It's okay to allow yourself that space to want, but in the nature of conservativity, 
that's a word I just made up. You're welcome. <laughs> um, conservation is probably an actual word we could use there. <laughs> um, make yourself a long-term plan for it, um, especially if it is a big want. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Start spell work for the long-term plans. <laughs> yeah. Start laying Perhaps the work for someone to gift you something amazing for the winter yeah. solstice. Yeah. <laughs> Do some influencing spell work. So if you just started listening to us, we talk about a tarot card every episode. We go over the universal meanings and then our own interpretations. So this week, we're going to be talking about the Three of Swords reversed. When upright, this card shows pretty simple, but nevertheless, impactful imagery. It depicts a heart with Three of Swords pierced into it and behind it, rain and clouds. The keywords to this card reversed are recovering from heartbreak overcoming, and overcoming a difficult period. So when this card comes up reversed for me in readings, almost always like, you know, with many cards, it depends on what cards are near, but it can mean one of two things usually. First being that, yes, you are moving on from whatever has caused you distress, but that doesn't mean that the pain isn't still there. The loss is still very much present, still fresh. It's kind of like moving on towards a stage where you feel numb after suffering a blow to your emotional well-being and mental health. You know, things aren't great but at least the pain isn't as deep as it once was i see this a lot when i do readings also for people who like suffer from chronic depression and like anxiety you know it's something that has to be constantly looked after intended to and secondly if this card is surrounded by cards let's say like the eight of cups um cards of that nature this card usually shows up it will also shows up like in a present problem situation and not the past if you look at this card when it's reversed this heart is kind of like being impaled <laughs> by the swords um and the handles are pointed towards the reader you know it shows that you are the one being the impaler you may be making your pain worse by not setting boundaries staying and staying around crappy situations just letting things fester and get worse well i know it's easier said than done you have to kind of like you know use your power to remove the sword so healing can actually begin yes the shock of pulling it out might hurt at first but you will you know finally get a chance to move on and heal from that pain how do you view this card robin dear i view it very much so as a healing card but i do Mm -hmm. view it as a beginning beginning part of the healing journey so like when it's upright right we see it as a heartbreak that initial pain uh having to like kind of come to acceptance of the fact that we have this heartbreak this sadness Mm -hmm. and when we've got it in reverse we've like we're at the acceptance portion of that heartbreak and sadness ready to take like our first steps forward in the healing journey Mm -hmm. so i don't know we're very similar once again, as always. Not as always. That's a lot. <laughs> Not lie. as always. But mm-hmm. as today we are. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
So for our main segment today, we are joined by the lovely Mara Mara Starling, an author of Welsh witchcraft. <laughs> you said it right this time. I did. <laughs> <laughs> this part, guys, like five minutes in, and you I said wishy. Yeah, I did. Look off on her. Always does, and I mispronounced it. Like. <laughs> horrible <laughs> but yes we are joined by the lovely mara thank you so much for joining us oh, thank you so much for thank having you me for being here <laughs> for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with your work could you tell us a little bit about yourself absolutely so my name is mara as already said and i'm originally from an island called anismon uh, the isle of anglesey in north wales uh, i'm a first language welsh speaker and i uh, wrote a book called welsh witchcraft which delves into my practice as a welsh folk witch but also it explores elements of welsh mythology and folklore and things like that and it explores how to incorporate those things into a modern day practice, which is inspired by folk magic and folklore, but also rooted in the modern day. Uh, I live currently just over the border from Wales in a place called Chester in Cheshire, and I run a little coven here. I usually run little events and moots and such, and I love to frolic about on social media and make videos and all sorts of fun bits <laughs> of content regarding usually Welsh folklore, Welsh folk magic, and also just anything that tickles my fancy and makes me feel magical. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love your content. I think it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I love, especially, I think like a couple, I don't know, it was maybe a month ago, you took us to like a cliffside that she used to practice on and it was so lovely and so mm. beautiful. I was like, so take me there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I think my so when did you start practicing witchcraft? Was it always connected to your Welsh heritage? Um, so I started practicing originally when I was around 12 years old. Uh, I used to always have an interest in anything magical. I remember when I was very, very, very young, I used to introduce myself to people because, you know, normal child thing to do, just introduce yourself by your interests. I used to be like, my name's Mara and I love fairies, <laughs> witches and mermaids. And that was just how everybody knew me. Um, <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, I, I just always had an obsession with anything that was magical in nature. And I remember when I was about 12 years old, I went to a little town just outside of where I lived back then. And it was called Hyangevni. And it was it was a very kind of, um, I saw it as a very urban, scary area, even though compared to the cities I've been to now, it's not at all. It's still in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by trees and fields. <laughs> but to me, it was a big town. And I remember going into one of the charity shops because I loved poking around at all the secondhand treasures that you could find. And I found a book called Spells for Teenage Witches, which um, was a kitschy kind of little book that had a bunch of spells and rituals and uh, little kind of things that you could do with candles to connect to the elements or ways to build an altar in your bedroom. And I bought it because I thought it was something <laughs> quite fantasy. I thought it was something like a novel or similar like that. Mm -hmm. But when I started reading it, it talks about modern paganism and witchcraft in a very, very vague kind of uh, 
small manner, but it does introduce you to the actual reality of witchcraft, which was my first introduction to, oh, there's a real aspect to this witchcraft stuff that I'm interested in. (laughs) But the more I kind of got into witchcraft and magic, the more I realized it's always been around me in some capacity. So my grandmother was, uh, she lived on a farm, she lived in the middle of nowhere, and she was very much an ordinary kind of chapel going lady, um, who was just, you know, your ordinary Welsh woman living on a farm. But she also happened to read tarot and crystal balls and tea leaves. And so my family (laughs) referred to her as a witch, which she hated. She didn't like being called a witch. So I don't like calling her a witch because I know her stance on that. But she she was very much witchy and magical, and she grew her own herbs. I still remember when I was very, very young, her telling me that every plant is like alive and has its own spirit, just like we are. And when I think back to moments like that, I'm like, oh, okay. I was always surrounded by this stuff. I just wasn't awake to it until I found that book. And finding that book was kind of like a wake-up moment for me because Nine, or Grandmother, as uh, we call her Nine in Welsh, um, Nine was kind of the only person in my family who ever stood up for me or ever like allowed me to be myself. Everyone else seemed to always be obsessed with like making, putting me in a box and trying to make me be something that I'm not. So it was a way of connecting back to her, but mm-hmm. also to connecting to myself and my landscape around me because I just, I, I felt a little bit out of place. And so it helped me connect to things. So yeah, around 12 was when I started practicing witchcraft, I think. <laughs> but beyond that, we also had, um, Uh, a connection to my Welshness especially was a huge thing because I remember when I was younger I went to a school that only had 26 students in total and my school was kind of it it didn't have any rules on the curriculum that it followed so my teachers loved taking us out and teaching us about local folklore local mythology and I grew up hearing stories about um, characters so like <laughs> yes, characters like Rhiannon and Branwen and Hyr and all these were entities that like I was very aware of as a child. But to me, they were just characters from mm-hmm. the stories of Wales. So when I got into paganism and witchcraft, right. and I realized, hey, these are goddesses and gods that people actually revere across the world. It was like, oh, these have always been part of my life. So it was almost like being reintroduced to a friend that you knew when you were six years old and being reintroduced to them in a completely new light. (laughs) So it was really strange. The more I got into witchcraft and magic, I realized that there were people like all the way in Australia and in Ohio and all sorts of places (laughs) that were great. Ohio. Not Ohio. Oh, poor Ohioans. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> but that's great. Oh, I, we love your grandmother. Like, she sounds yeah, she, like I an amazing I, woman. I would have loved to have met her. She sounds incredible. Yeah. Um, I will I will say, I don't know what I was going to say there. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, what is something about Welsh witchcraft that sets it apart from other Celtic paths? So... Wales is in this like strange place because we're often um, not known. It's one of the reasons that I wrote my book um, because I I always felt drawn to anything Celtic because being raised in a Celtic nation, you know, that whole idea of we are Celtic is like quite big. And um, 
the Welsh language was my first language or is my first language. And so I was very connected to mm -hmm. kind of my Welsh heritage and all that. But whenever I went searching for anything Celtic, it was quite difficult to find anything Welsh. It was like if you buy books that are um, compilations of Celtic mythology or Celtic fairy tales, usually it's 80% like Irish stuff with 20% mixed in mm -hmm. some Scottish, some Welsh, some Cornish, kind of just thrown in there for balance. And there is this um, kind of misconception that goes around that Celtic and Irish are kind of synonyms that if you say Celtic, you mean Irish, right? And it's something that I struggled with a lot mm -hmm. growing up because I was like, no, I don't mean Irish. I mean Welsh. We are very much our own culture. Um, so Celtic is kind of like an umbrella that covers a variety of cultures. And what makes Wales quite unique in um, one respect is that we are a Brythonic, Brythonic culture, a Brythonic or Brythonic culture, as opposed to a Goidelic. So our language is a Brythonic language, um, not a Goidelic language. So though Irish, um, the Irish Gaelic language and the Welsh language are very much related to each other, they are also quite different to each other i i would not be able to understand someone speaking irish like not at all um but uh, there are other languages within the same family as welsh which are also celtic but they're brythonic rather than goidelic such as cornish or even uh, breton who like if i spoke if, if i heard someone speaking breton or cornish i can usually pick up on things that they're saying because they're very very closely related to us so i can usually like get the gist of a conversation and we can understand each other but wales is unique in that we have had a huge influence on modern paganism and witchcraft and not a lot of people realize that so when we look at things like um the birth of like more uh, neo-pagan traditions such as wicca we see so much Welsh mythology woven into what makes Wicca what it is. And in turn, because Wicca has had such an influence on modern witchcraft as a whole, we see that influence still today in a lot of witchcraft circles. But they're kind of, they're brushed aside because they're seen as like, oh, they're just Celtic beliefs. They're not Welsh beliefs, they're Celtic. So it kind of gets shoved aside right. into the same mm -hmm. corner as like Ireland and such. And um, though a lot of things also come from Ireland and also come from Scotland, I think it's sad that sometimes we don't acknowledge the Welsh things. So off the top of my head, um, the two things that always comes to mind is um, uh, a lot of the deities that are revered within modern paganism today, especially ones like Rhiannon, Ariandrod, Ceridwen, Gwynapnydd, they're all Welsh and they all come from our mythology. Um, and specifically, there's elements of um, some of their stories, such as Ceridwen's story, she brews, a cold, she brews a potion that takes a year and a day to prepare and create. And then we see that within initiatory traditions today, where it's like, oh, you have to study for a year and a day yeah. before you can get into it. And then the one that I'm really like obsessed with at the minute, because I'm working currently on something to do with Gwynapnydd. Gwynapnydd is um, a god within our uh, kind of mythology, and he is specifically the king of our other world. So he's a god of liminality and transition, and he's a psychopomp, so he's associated with the dead and with carrying the dead over to the afterlife mm -hmm. and such. But he is, as part of his mythology, 
he kidnaps this woman uh, to stop her from having the um, rumpity bumpity with another guy and he kind of takes her away to this hidden place and there is some some versions of the story that say she's his sister so it makes it a bit incestuous but it's a fun story he takes her away and hides her away if we're being honest though yeah. I'm glad that spreads over is... tons of mythology yeah incest is a is a on going theme in a lot of folklore stories yeah i think i think the the ancients had some fetish but um he takes her away and he hides her away and he tries to like keep her his prisoner and there's this huge war that kind of breaks out and it involves king arthur because king arthur is also welsh in case people didn't know and king arthur eventually comes i did not know that (laughs) it's a it's a strange one and king arthur kind of breaks up this fight going on between gwynapnir and this other guy who wants to do the deed with this lady and they then settle this battle by getting involved in this cosmic battle that happens every year on May Day, on Kalan Mai, the first day of May, where they will fight every year on May Day from now until Judgment Day or the day the world comes to an end. And um, whoever wins the final battle on Judgment Day, that's who gets the hand of the maiden. So it's this constant cosmic cycle, this cosmic battle that happens every single year between these two divine entities that kind of has a sway on how the world works. And um, that was where the origin of uh, Robert Graves' idea of the Holly and the Oak King came from, which what is what became in a lot of modern paganism <laughs> this story of the change of the seasons where the holly and the oak king fight twice a year for dominance over the seasons so it kind of became this new mythos that was inspired by a welsh mythos and that's just a few examples of ways in which uh, the kind of forefathers of modern witchcraft took inspiration from uh, welsh mythology and welsh folklore and welsh beliefs and kind of ripped them to shreds to make them almost unnote and like uh almost unable to identify as welsh but they're still there and we can still see those mm-hmm. others and so i i kind of just decided you know why i didn't know that <laughs> i'd love that wales has had such an influence on so much of modern paganism and witchcraft and yet a lot of the times we're just seen as um just another part of England or we're seen as just another cog in the kind of Celtic kind of way. And I wanted to kind of put us on the map. as I think Wales culturally and socially gets forgotten so much. Like I, I, as an American, like I didn't know until I got with my partner 10 years ago that Wales wasn't just a part of England. Like I had no idea. And it wasn't until we got together and we actually saw the movie Submarine. Do you remember that movie? And he like explained to me, he was like, well, yeah, they're from Wales. And I was like, what the fuck is Wales? (laughs) And, but I think that that is at least from an American viewpoint, um, really common that, you know, you know, Scotland, you know, Ireland, you know, England, but what about whales? <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the yeah. reasons that I was so obsessed with wanting to put it out there. I remember when I was younger, I I was um, quite an odd child and I didn't have much friends. So I had a lot of online friends um, when I was a teenager and I made friends with this. Um, Same. <laughs> I, I made friends with someone who lived over in America. And I remember we used to have these really long conversations about like what 
is Wales. Because to me, growing up there, I, I, I'm i just Welsh. That's how I've always identified. My first language is Welsh. I didn't speak much English until I, I think I went to university in Manchester. That was around the time that I started speaking English more regularly. But up until then, everything I did was in the Welsh mm-hmm. language. And it was those kind of situations, like meeting this wow. online friend who lived in America and also going to university. I went to a very kind of international university that had a lot of students from all over the world coming. And the amount of people from like Germany, and uh, I remember I made friends with people that come from like the Caribbean and from the Pacific Islands and all sorts, and they did not know what Wales mm. was. They were like, I don't know where that is. Isn't that just a county in England? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's kind of one of my... <laughs> That's genuinely what I thought. Yeah. I, I genuinely thought that Wales is a county in England, or yeah, a county in England. And then when I learned it was a country, right, I was like, well, it's an island then, right? And it, my husband's like, it, no. <laughs> He's like, let's pull out the map. <laughs> so on TikTok, he spoke about the correct way to pronounce like certain holidays and stuff like that. I think that would get like, you know, so many practitioners get it so wrong you know for you know a while and you know you read words and you don't really hear anyone say it out loud so you struggle what words do like you typically hear mispronounced like especially in relation to holidays or you know normal magical practitioner words taken from the welsh language Oh gosh, I I know that the biggest one is uh, Mapon, and <laughs> we've just had that kind of whole every year. Like all the we people did, who are yeah. part of the kind of polytheist, animist, pagan, and witchcraft circles that are inspired by the Brythonic and the Welsh traditions, we all come out of the woodwork and we become insufferable around the autumn equinox because we're like, you will learn to pronounce <laughs> Mapon correctly and if it's the last thing we get right. But um, <laughs> Mapon is the fun one because Mapon is the name of one of our gods. Um, and he is one... So. Uh, I don't know mm, how to, I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know how to mention this without like going into a huge kind of essay about it, splurge about it, but Mapon is <laughs> a curious one because within Welsh mythology, you could argue whether or not a lot of the deities that we have are actually deities. We don't know for sure because um the mythology that we have the Welsh had this obsession with um, not writing things down, annoyingly. <laughs> and so when the mythologies were finally written down and recorded on paper, it was done by Christians, by Christian monks. And so our mythologies have kind of been watered down and changed over time. We don't know how much, we don't know how little. It's just a case of we know that it was the Christian scribes that wrote it down. And we know that they're probably older than the manuscripts that do exist, much, much older, because they have themes that kind of go against Christianity and the concept of like the one true God. Mm. Um, and a lot of the characters that we associate as Welsh gods, like Bran and Gwynapnir and Rhiannon, these like really popular ones, we don't know for sure if they are 100% gods. They are nowadays because they're worshipped as gods, so you could argue that they've gone through the process of apotheosis and they are gods now. But in the stories, they're mostly just heroes. They're like kings or queens or they're warriors, um, and they die a lot. So it's kind of like, is do they are they actually gods? But Mapon is one that we can say with almost certainty that he was a god because his name literally means the divine son. He's the the divine son of the divine mother. He's Mapon Ap Motron, and his name like Mab On. Mab is just the Welsh word for son. 
and then on is a kind of thing that they added at the end of names to showcase this person is divine, is a god. So that's why we have like Rian on, Mab on, like they're divine. Um, and Mathon <laughs> also has cognates with older Celtic and Gaulish deities such as Maponos. So there's an older god called Maponos who, as you can guess from the name, like Maponos, Mapon, it's kind of just the same name with the os changed and the p turned into the b. Um, and Maponos also means the divine son and he's the son of Matrone, the divine mother. So we have these cognates and we know that the ancient Gauls worshipped a god called Maponos. So the belief is that Mapon is kind of the later Welsh incarnation of this Brythonic god. Um, and Mapon has absolutely nothing to do with the autumn equinox. Um, and the name didn't become associated <laughs> with the autumn equinox until around 1974, when this random guy called Aidan Kelly came along and decided, hey, all the other holidays on the Wheel of the Year have a fun name. Um, why doesn't the autumn equinox? And he was like, I'm going to find an Anglo-Saxon name. And then he found Mapon, and everyone was like, you know, that's not an Anglo-Saxon name, right? <laughs> he didn't care. Um, he saw the, there's, there's a slight similarity between, he still yeah, loved it. <laughs> there's a slight similarity between the story of Mapon in Welsh mythology and the story of Persephone or in Greek mythology, where it's this concept of uh, a divine child that gets taken away from its divine mother and it causes all sorts of chaos but as opposed to persephone where it's very clearly like when she gets taken away it causes autumn and winter to happen that doesn't happen in mabon's story he's just taken mm -hmm. away and then he's found again later on in the stories so he has some reasoning for putting it as the autumn equinox but it doesn't really make sense to a lot of us who know the story through and through <laughs> and so, that's so interesting right but because he is like is so interesting. in our tradition we are very protective over his name and when we hear it pronounced um like in all these different kind of maven manners and stuff it just feels a bit like oh if if we're going to still use this name even though it has nothing to do with the autumn equinox and doesn't really make sense if we're going to still use it maybe learn who he is and learn to pronounce his name is that so bad so that's one of the ways we become insufferable <laughs> no, during <the> no. <laughs> <laughs> i feel like that kind of attitude though of like perhaps learn a little bit about where this comes from before using it um i think has been really cool because it's been a new theme that is like finally coming like out in like a public setting in like the last like year or two which i mean it existed for sure but it definitely didn't exist in the kind of cultural context that we see in witchcraft now versus even just five years ago and i think it's really cool that there are people like you creators like you that are talking about these things that you know are a part of like witchcraft norms and yet mm -hmm. people don't have a slight clue as to where it came from yeah i think <laughs> it's because you know we have to lean on the books but you know mm. it's so hard to get hold of books like that and like finding that sort of information yeah yeah I mean, but now it's like there, way there easier we have your book now. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> So. so our last question that we've got for you, madam, is because we're talking obviously about like 
um, the autumnal equinox and just kind of this time of year. Um, with Samhain approaching, how do you personally celebrate it? And are there any kind of like unique traditions that come out with Welsh witchcraft? Oh, definitely. So this is um, probably my favorite time of the year because uh, with all the other kind of I talk about how um, a lot of me coming into the Welsh aspect of things was me reconnecting to my culture, because though I'd grown up in it, a lot of it, you know, was very Christianized and was very kind of not quite uh, pagan, even though we had remnants of things like the mythologies and folklore was a huge aspect of my upbringing. Um, it was still quite new to me when I came to witchcraft and magic to connect to my culture via the magical aspects of it. So I remember when I first kind of came into witchcraft and magic, I I met a mentor and he was the chief of the Anglesey Druid Order and he was very passionate about Wales. So when I first started, I was very um, kind of eclectic all over the place. I remember going into shops and looking for pendants that had like ISIS um, on it and such. And I was like, I want to connect to the gods of Egypt. Why not? And I met this really larger than life flamboyant <laughs> Druid man who ran an order of Druids on Anglesey. And he was very kind of like, he had this intense passion for keeping his Welsh aspect of things alive. He he wrote books. He writes for Hewellyn as well. His name's Christopher Hughes. And he writes books about like, um, you know, keeping the traditions of Welsh magic alive, keeping the names known, keeping the stories known. And he really inspired me. And I was like, oh, I've never really connected to my Welshness because I um, I always felt like a bit of an outsider in my village. Um, the idea of like, what does it mean to be Welsh was very much like you have to be a farmer and like football and things like that. And I was like, I don't really relate to that. <laughs> so when I found the history of like magic and mythology, I was like, this is me. And when I was reconnecting with the kind of seasonal, so we didn't really have a wheel of the year in the same way that um, neo-paganism does, but we did have celebrations throughout the year. And specifically in Wales, we have the Tyr Espritnos, we call them, which is, it translates to the three spirit nights of the year. And these are practices that have been like carried out for absolute centuries, if not longer. Um, and they are three points in the year that are considered kind of liminal times when the boundaries that might or might not exist between our world and the realm of spirit are at their absolute weakest. And we can connect to the spirits of the dead, the spirits of the land, the Tulwitteg, which is our version of like the Fae, basically. We can connect to these entities on a deeper, more visceral level. And when I was researching into different aspects of this, all three of those, well, most of those Spritnoses, the spirit knights, I didn't know anything about, like Kalan Mai and the summer solstice. I didn't know anything really about practices around then. But there was one that I was like, oh, I know about this one because we did this as a child. And that was called Norse Kalan Geav, or Kalan Geav specifically. Um, and Kalan Geav, when I was growing up, was kind of dubbed as, oh, it's just our version of Halloween. You know, it's our Welsh version of Halloween. No different mm -hmm. at all, except very different. <laughs> because the way that we celebrate Kalan Geav <laughs> is, um, you know, we light bonfires. There's stories about spectral kind of pigs and such. And there's divination that we do. There's all sorts of little customs and rites that each kind of region has. And I remember, like, when I got into it, I was like, oh, God, I know this one. This isn't reconnect. This is just connecting to something I already do and already can incorporate into my practice. Mm -hmm. So Kalan Geav today in Wales, um, 
has kind of become this amalgamation of the older traditions and the newer traditions squished together. So we have like the traditional Kalangeyav stuff that is very Welsh. And then we have the trick-or-treating and stuff, which is kind of new. <laughs> and they squish them together and they make this new version. Mm-hmm. But historically, Norse Kalangeyav was um, the 31st of October. Norse Kalangeyav translates to the eve of winter. So it's winter's eve. Uh, because it was believed in the old Welsh calendar that the 1st of November was the first day of winter. And it was really important for the farmers and such to keep an eye on, like, when is the first day of winter? When's the last day of summer? And all this, keeping the crops going and all that. Um, mm-hmm. So Norse Kalangeyav was the celebration of the eve of winter. It was the last day before we were in the clutches of winter and then the first day of winter the first of november was called kalangeyav which translates to mean the kalends of winter so the first day of winter and norse kalangeyav the 31st of october was considered a very spooky and um, creepy night it's a time when so people in the (laughs) village they would gather together and they would light bonfires along the hills and they would throw all sorts of fragrant herbs onto the bonfire and there's this really strange tradition of you would get a stone and you would write your name on the stone and then you'd throw the stone into the fire and then by the next day when the fire's gone and it's burnt down and there's only ash left you'd come back and you'd find your stone if you found your stone and it was there and it was waiting for you all's well your next year is going to be amazing you're going to have good luck good fortune to follow if you don't find your stone (laughs) you're probably going to die or go through a lot of shit so it was a strange divinatory practice (laughs) that was carried out Um, I'm sorry am I allowed to say shit (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah yeah. oh yeah oh yeah please please never think of that that was um, one of the traditions that was carried out That's really on North Galangayev. So the- I wonder if I could find my stone or if I would die. <laughs> yes. I know, right? I'm just imagining a ton of people like <laughs> shoving each other trying to find their stones. <laughs> oh. These bonfires oh were like gosh. kind of their way of saying goodbye to the um to the last remnants of the warmer and lighter half of the year going into the darker half. Uh it was also like in some parts of Wales, it was called which um i'm very sorry to any vegans listening but like it was also called kikva which means the the feast of meat which was just the time when they slaughtered as much of the animals and ate as much of the meat as possible that was mostly for the rich people most of the poor people did not want to kill their animals because it was their source of milk and such but that's an old tradition we don't do that anymore (laughs) it's mostly like the bonfires nowadays if we do do them are tied into the bonfire night traditions that are throughout britain but a lot of people don't know that they predate the whole gunpowder plot which is a whole different tangents but anyway after the bonfires were kind of celebrated and people had thrown their stone in and the fires were starting to die down everyone would gather together and they would kind of process over to the um the houses in the village they'd usually choose one or two houses and they'd have parties and things and there was a whole tradition of as you were walking home from the the bonfires you would sing atra atra amagunta hoch de guta gipiarola which translates to home home let's get home or else the tailless black sow is going to get whoever's out last and that's from this belief that there was this spectral 
black tailless sow that used to hide in the shadows and wait for people to be walking home and it would attack any kind of stragglers who didn't get home in time uh, it was a very scary kind of monstrous sow <laughs> and that tradition still carried over into when i was a kid because we used to get told if you stay out trick-or-treating too long the hook the guta will get you so don't do that <laughs> we used to kind of run away run, run away from any noises we heard because we thought it was the hook the guta um, and then they'd go home and they would <laughs> practice all sorts of divination. So it was a time to practice divination. And it was also a time to celebrate. So you'd have parties, you'd do bobbing for apples, you'd make which is a type of traditional Kalangayav dish. Um, it was a big kind of, if you imagine mashed potatoes, but it was made of nine different vegetables and different kind of herbs thrown in there and such. And there was a divinatory tradition from it where you would, for, for all the unmarried people in the room, you would put maybe a gold ring in one of the portions and whoever found the gold ring was going to be the next to marry in the next year. And divination was just a huge thing. They practiced all sorts of divination to do with romance and relationships and death. I love that. Um, and I kind of still carry on these traditions in my practice today. We practice divination. We do all sorts of the traditional manners and also newer versions. Like we do our tarot readings and our oracle card readings on the night now. But we still make the traditional dishes. So stunchnauriu and kaul are our traditional uh, Kalangayev dishes in our house. So we have stunchnauriu, which is the mash of nine sorts. And then kaul is a type of stew, which is made of things like um, swede and carrots and potatoes and all sorts of things. Um, but to me, like Norse Kalangayev is something really nostalgic and old because we did it when we were kids and one of my favorite traditions growing up was mm -hmm. the what I call now because I like to be very dramatic I call it the circumambulation ritual that we did <laughs> we did not call it that as kids <laughs> but it was a ritual that we did every year and it was an old tradition that stems back to like my grandmother did it her mother did it um, because my family kind of lived in the same village for very many generations and it's this uh, belief that if you walked around the graveyard three times, so circumambulating the graveyard three times, going around it, uh, you would, on the third time, once you've opened your gate and go into the graveyard for the third and the final time, you... It depends on who you ask. In my generation, there was this statue of an angel, and it was said that the statue of the angel will come to life and reveal some dark, gruesome secret to you. Um, in my mother's generation, it was just, you'll see a ghost, and a ghost will come up to you and tell you who's going to die in the next year. And then in my grandmother's generation, it was that you would meet the devil, and the devil would tell you who's going to die. They're obsessed with finding out who's <laughs> going to die. And before that, it was that if you put your no ear, <laughs> uh, before that it was if you put your ear up to the door of the church that you would hear something, some kind of ghost or spirit reciting the name of all the people who the names of all the people who are going to die in the next year. So it was quite gruesome and obsessed with like who's going to die next. We want to know, <laughs> but that was something that we still did as kids, and I still do. If it's I'm very honest. like gossipy. It's like yeah. <laughs> What like it's like it's like tabloidy, but for death. Very morbid, <laughs> morbid gossip. <laughs> oh, and then 
Kalangerb itself, That's the so first funny. day of winter, was seen as a time to um, kind of, it was more stoic. So Norse Kalangerb was the time to do frivolous stuff like finding out who's going to die. <laughs> and then Kalangerb was the mm-hmm. time to be more stoic and like remember those who have died in the last year, the people who have passed over. You'd go and wash their grave. You'd go and mm-hmm. leave out an offering for them. You'd leave a candle in the window. And then there's a whole like ritual that you do of setting up kind of a little altar to them where you put their picture out and you bake you cook them a meal and you leave out food for them and you say a little kind of prayer or incantation and you kind of bring them to life and we've incorporated that into our kind of pagan ways nowadays um so we do the same thing we just leave out any kind of mention of god (laughs) we do the same thing basically and yeah these are the that's my kind of (laughs) sawin or kalangeav norse kalangeav it's norse kalangeav is a night of frivolity and finding out who's going to die and then kalangeav is a reverence for the ancestors (laughs) I love that. It all sounds really fun. Like honestly, it sounds fun. It's morbid, it but it sound also fun. sounds really fun. Like yeah, it does. <laughs> Just go into the graveyard. Let's find out who's gonna die. <laughs> well, when you word it like that. <laughs> I just imagine everyone's so excited to find out who's going to die. It's was <laughs> going this year. Oh, literally. Oh gosh. Oh, Mara, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Before we sign off, would you please tell our listeners where they can find you? Yes, absolutely. So I'm a bit like a venereal disease. Once I've touched you, you will find me everywhere. So I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. (laughs) I'm everywhere. Um, And I will pop up in your life at some point. Um, And I also have a Patreon and a YouTube channel. And I share all sorts of these kind of Welsh magical things all over. So if you'd like to find me, just search Mara Starling and I'll probably pop up somewhere. (laughs) And thank you so much for having me on as well. (laughs) Well, thank you again. Yeah, thank yeah, you again for thank being you so much here. For, it was so much fun. I love yes. learning, so learned a lot. I don't like learning, but you know what? <laughs> I'm here anyway. <laughs> Oh, Maria, what's stirring your cauldron this week? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for asking me. <laughs> <laughs> so lately, I have been practicing the art of slowing down, which I spoke a little bit about in our last pod, but I wanted to talk more about it here because it's definitely what is stirring my cauldron. Um, so I was reading a mystery book, like of all things, and one part during the book, the main character who is um, going on a walk through a beautiful countryside forest you know to relax take a nature she realizes she's walking super fast through it all she realizes that she's like hustling through the supposed enjoyable walk and she like stops in her tracks and you know she thinks about why she's walking so fast in the first place and Mm -hmm. you know this walk she was supposed to be on was was supposed to be relaxing after all was supposed to take her mind off of you know the whole mystery behind the book but right you know, um, there was no point A to point B, nowhere she needed to be. There was absolutely like no reason for her to be hustling. And she remarks how that we were taught, you know, that we're taught in a capitalistic, a capitalistic society to do things as fast as possible. 
even while relaxing, you know, it can be so hard to enjoy a single moment because you're worried about like what comes after that moment. But anyways, like it really impacted me. And I realized how much I was like, even just hustling around the house, like walking from one room to another to do absolutely nothing, you know, looking at my phone, like it's a ticking time bomb, like switching between apps, you know, checking my comments. Um, and just, I don't know, simple things felt like emergencies when they weren't. When I do anything, especially, like even when I'm doing like stuff with work, I feel like I have to do it fast, but perfectly as well. You know, it just adds to the stress and actually makes like simple tasks longer, especially because my neurodivergency. And so mm-hmm. I've been very mindful of it and I've been slowing down. And when, when I feel myself rushing from like one room to another, or I'm hurrying to, to do something, I like stop what I'm doing, like complete, like dead stop and take a deep breath and tackle it in a more balanced way. And like it has very much positively impacted my practice as well. I am more like mindful of my energy, my happiness. And I feel like I'm actually taking part in the world around me because I'm able to actually pay attention to the smaller details, all of which, you know, it's my magical practice because I find little Mm -hmm. packet pockets of magic throughout my day. But uh, anyways, I hope this helps someone like who's like, wow, I do rush every, you know, through every single thing that I do. <laughs> you know, you're not alone. I love that. <laughs> Thank I you. think that's very sweet. <laughs> so Robin, <laughs> what is not stirring your cauldron this week? Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> Um, I think I've talked about this before, but I'm like, it's that time of year again where Robin's getting angry at the internet. Um, I, it's that time of year again where we have new people that are like getting into witchcraft. They're getting so excited about it. They're exploring things and they might be sharing it on the internet. And I just think it's really fucking weird when grown adults, like, and I'm not talking like 20 year olds 21 year olds and i'm not trying to infantilize people that are 20 or 21 years old i'm just saying that they're young adults right i'm talking Mm -hmm. grown grown adults like you have a mortgage you are 30 you are 40 (laughs) you are 50 years old okay like you are done with college you are like the settled part of your life right Mm -hmm. big air quotes on that like getting so fucking weird about children and by that i mean actual children like 15 16 year old kids um exploring witchcraft and being like little miss know-it-alls or mr know-it-alls about witchcraft shut the fuck up do you not have like a mortgage to pay like i just think it's really predatory and i don't even think they realize that Mm -hmm. a lot of these adults that are 30 40 50 whatever years old who will complain in one breath about the indoctrinization of like Christianity, for example, mm-hmm. will then in the next breath take it upon themselves to mentor these children who are not asking for mentorship and being like, you're actually doing this wrong or like, and I'm not talking about like safety. Like we're not talking mm-hmm. about safety matters. They're just like, this is how I do it. You're wrong. And they're like almost bullying these children with their own viewpoints like do you not have like a car payment you're late on (laughs) like 
I just, I think that when you are a young person, you are at this really incredible kind of point where you can view magic through this kind of fresh perspective. You might be more open towards experimenting or whatever. I know we've, we talked about that a little bit when Tenny was on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it's so weird when grownups, like grown grownups, Mm-hmm. Who might have children are like obsessing over what kids are doing. What is that your business? If there, if it, if now if safety is involved, that's totally different. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting like really tired of grownups like remarking on what kids are doing. Worry about yourself. Like they need to explore. They need to try things, etc. Well, there's also like the same people who will like comment and be like, "You're doing that wrong." You're doing that Shut wrong. the fuck up. I've been doing this for 50 years. You're well, doing I've it wrong. I've actually been doing this for 50 years. Well, if you've been doing this for since the birth of the wheel, um, and this is how you've always done it, and that works for you, that's great. Um, but if you've been doing it since the birth of the wheel, and it's the perfect thing for you, mm-hmm. why do you need to tell me that on the internet about how right you are unless you're cripplingly insecure? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I have a lot to say and I could go on about this for hours and I'm not going to. And I know this isn't the first time I brought it up. And so people are probably like, shut up, Robin. But I just, it's because it's that time of year again, I'm seeing it. Like there was a video of some kid. I don't want to assume their age, but they definitely are a young person. I believe in high school. Mm-hmm. And all these people are like tearing them to shreds on the internet. And I'm like, they're a literal child. <laughs> And if they aren't legally a minor, they are still so young that like it would it would be inappropriate if you two were like dating. So why are you so concerned with what they're doing in a very private spiritual practice? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I don't know. I just think that sometimes we all need to check ourselves and that the our community is so small mm-hmm. that it's really easy to forget that there are like these huge age gaps between people mm-hmm. and lines get blurred. And I think that uh, spiritual practices are very intimate, very private, very sacred things. And mm-hmm. perhaps we should allow the minors to figure out their intimate, private, sacred thing on their own without being mm-hmm. a weird adult that is like, actually, shut up. Just let them do their thing. I don't know. I... It's icky. It's, it's ick. icky. It's icky. <laughs> If you just joined us this week, every single week we talk about creators we are loving right now. This can be artists, shops, bloggers, photographers, just anybody that we find that we think is cool. As a reminder, these are organic finds and not advertisements. So that being said, Maria, who are you digging right now, girly? So I recently backed a Kickstarter. I'm pretty sure it's fully funded, but it's still up. So... If you want to get it, you can still get it. But it's the Ephemere tar- um, Tarot by True Black Tarot. I mean, True Black Tarot is already gorgeous. It's beautiful, so yeah. Beautiful. Well, this so deck is like, I think, like, it's a step above. It is so okay. pretty. It's not black and gold, Robin. It is white and gold, okay? okay? <laughs> 
I can't deal with you. That's so fucking funny. But like just the illustrations. Yeah. Who the fuck are we joking? Look, you're gonna look at me and you're gonna tell me that that is not like flying very close to the black and gold sun. It is beautiful though. It is. It's so pretty. I like I was speaking to him and he says that he wished that he could have like um put it out in December. Like that's what he oh. wanted. But they're shooting for yeah. spring instead. But oh my gosh, could you imagine that deck so being a yule de- like I mean a winter solstice deck? Like it's so pretty. Oh. So oh. beautiful. It's so he is like extremely talented. I can't stand it. And he's going to do the new thing that a lot of um tarot deck people have been doing lately which is adding different sets of the lovers so it's going to be i love that more inclusive so i'm very excited i cannot wait to get it i love that so much it's such a beautiful deck Mm -hmm. mine too so mine is ugly ugly mug but it's ugly with an i instead of a y underscore mug um, so it's another ceramic piece. So I'm sat here throwing stones at Maria while I'm like, let's talk about another piece of ceramic I like. Um, it's so beautiful that I could pass out. Um, it's not I've ugly. never seen. It's, it's not n- ugly. It's not ugly. I've never seen painted, hand painted ceramic that looks like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like there's there's no bubbling. It's like a flat surface. It is beautiful, like truly beautiful. And it's like fun little spooky stuff, which is, I think, where the ugly name comes from. Mm-hmm. But it's really beautiful work. I am so impressed. Oh. So I don't know. I, I love it. I think that I want it. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We hope that we will see you again on Friday, November 4th for Coffee Talk or on November 11th for our 21st episode of Season 3. You can keep an eye out on our Instagrams and or Twitter, or you can just go to coffeeandcauldrons.com to find all of our social medias, um, as well as, you know patreon and other things mm-hmm. uh, don't forget to join us on patreon october 30th for our four hauntings class by j allen cross this is library tier and up and if you miss it but still like if you can't make the class but you still want to like listen um a recorded version will be available within 48 hours after the class that will stay up on patreon Yes, and even joining our Magical Beginnings Patreon, you will get a 25-minute part two episode and our Coffee Talk episode a week early. A huge library of articles about witchcraft, a Discord community full of fun events and discussions. And we even... (laughs) even have a tier that offers one-on-one conversations with Robin and myself. Oh, and all of our episodes are posted there as well and are ad-free. Ad-free, yes. Um, Please, though, if you love our sexy, sensual, just chef's kiss voices, (laughs) take a moment to review us on whatever streaming service that you are listening to, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We love reading your reviews and rating us with five stars helps us to be seen by others. 
thank you everybody who already has and everybody who will we appreciate it <laughs> so again this is coffee and cauldrons with robin from out of tired witch on instagram and i'm maria from <clears throat> maria the arcane on instagram you ready all right ready yeah <laughs> one, one two, two three, three.